0: What we're going to talk about today is one that if you know anything about the disciplines, you knew it was coming somewhere down the line. We're going to talk about it in some depth today. And that is the spiritual discipline of fasting, which is so out of vogue today in the church. Have you noticed how much it is? I actually had a guy walk up to me that has been an acquaintance for a number of years. He's a physician here locally. And he saw me in the gym, uh, I don't know, several weeks ago. And just sort of out of the clear blue, we hadn't talked in a while. And he he came up and you know said hello and just sort of randomly said, You know, the very first time I ever heard you preach was years ago at a church on the Eastern Shore. The first time I ever visited there. And he said, It was the oddest thing. You preached an entire message on fasting. So I'm like, I know what he's talking about because it's the only time I've ever preached on a Sunday an entire sermon on fasting. Today will be number two that I've ever done. And he said, That was the first time I ever came. And part of me is thinking, I'm amazed you came back. But he said... I was so amazed that you would preach a whole message on fasting. He said, I'd only heard one other pastor ever do that. He's like, I've got to come back for more of this. He said, it just, it really connected for me. So before you tune me out, at least... If you want, you know, give credence to what I'm going to say, consider that a physician has said, you really need to hear this. This is worth tuning in for. The, the reality is we live in a time where, I mean, you look around the landscape and, and we have, you know, temples to the golden arches every direction that you look. You, you look on television and we're constantly confronted with cows holding signs that say, eat more chicken. Uh, just everything that you can imagine is pointing us toward the need to eat, Right. There's an olive garden or something on every corner. There's a supermodel eating a, a Hardee's thick burger in slow motion, making it look so tempting. I mean, it, everything is just telling you life will be better. You'll be more satisfied if you'll just eat more, right? So a message on fasting seems terribly out of touch with that culture, doesn't it? Well, the truth of the matter is there's never been a culture more in need of Discovering the joy and power that we access through this discipline. And I'll tell you the good news on the front end. If this is a foreign concept to you, this isn't a heavy, oh my goodness, I can't believe I've got to do this kind of topic. It's actually a doorway to real joy and power, as I hope you're going to see today. Uh, I was curious to discover in reading, uh, you know, I mean, there's just no telling how many books are written in any given year. It's interesting to discover that in America, between 1861 and about a hundred years later, beyond the middle of the 20th century, there was not one book written in English on the subject of fasting. <laughs> that says something, doesn't it? That <laughs> is like it has become the subject that is so thoroughly there in the scriptures that the church has not wanted to touch and that people have, in many cases, abandoned, which begs the question, if it's such a big issue in the scriptures, and oh by the way it is, how in the world has the church gotten so out of touch with this discipline that actually becomes an important practice for us? And the two reasons are are really quite obvious. The first one is, I think, because both in Jesus' day and in the Middle Ages, the most legalistic and unhealthy people in the church who really lost the whole point of what faith in God is all about, about living in a personal relationship with God, the people who missed that boat but who loved what religion can still do for you in terms of earning respect and giving you power with people, they held on to to fasting as a badge of honor and really used it as a means to sort of manipulate people and try and impress people. And it just became such a legalistic thing, as, as you'll see as we go through uh, what we're going to talk about today, that it just became one of those things that it, it got, even though it's a really healthy practice, it got associated with such unhealthy people who were practicing it in an unhealthy way, and Jesus himself had to confront that fact. And so, on the one hand, it just became something that people thought, oh, that's, that's law, that's, that's Old Testament, that's legalistic, isn't it? No, it, it's really not, as you'll see. And the other thing is, we just live in a culture today that's brainwashing us. It's brainwashing us to think you need three great big meals every day and some snacks in between to keep from starving, right? I mean, if anything, you know, supersize me is indeed the brainwashing theme of the day. And fasting just seems so out of touch with that. So today is going to go against the grain of those things, but I hope it's going to hit a real point of need for us. Now, And just making the point of how universally this has been a part of ...of the lives of the men and women of God that the Lord has used so powerfully. I'll just tell you, if you search the scriptures and search history of the church since the Bible was completed... ...you'll find pretty much all of the greats of the faith, fasting was a significant part of their lives. I mean, whether you're talking about Moses, David, Daniel, Queen Esther, Anna the prophetess, uh, Elijah, the apostle Paul, Jesus himself... And when you get into the history of the church, I mean, we could make just an unending list. Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Wesley, Charles Finney, John Knox. And even beyond the circle of faith, just some of the greatest minds in history. Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, Hippocrates, the father of modern medicine. All of these practiced fasting ...on a regular basis, which, if nothing else, all of that should make us take a step back and go, ...these are some of the most significant people who've lived in all of history. And they understood that this was an important discipline to practice. And now we even know from the field of modern medicine and physical fitness... ...that it's actually a significant piece in being just physically, mentally, and emotionally fit. That people who fast on a regular basis tend to be healthier physically, mentally, and emotionally. And so we realize there's something that's missing in 21st century American culture. Would you agree with that? That that something must be wrong if we've checked out of this and all of these people are, are giving us a very different message. So what I want to do just in the next few minutes is sort of try and answer three different questions. First of all, what is it when we talk about fasting? Because a lot of times I'll hear people reference fasting in ways that don't really line up with what the Bible teaches. So what is it? And what's it all about? What's accomplished through fasting? What's the point? And then finally, just a brief word about, okay, if I've never really tried this, how do I begin to do it? And listen, I realize uh, there are some people in the room who could be teaching a lesson on fasting. You you have enough experience in this, and I'm not trying to talk down to anyone. And you could stand up and, and share plenty about the, the subject or how to do it, and it may seem silly to offer instruction on how to, but n- not everybody has been there and done that. And so I'm just going to offer some insights about how to begin in the area of fasting and advance in that. So first of all, what is it that we're talking about? Well, Luke chapter four, the opening verses spelled it out pretty well. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all thought it was significant to record that at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, immediately after he was baptized, the very first thing that happened next was that Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River where he had been baptized, and the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, led Jesus into the desert where the devil tempted Jesus for 40 days. And Jesus ate nothing during that time. And when those days were ended... He was very hungry. I used to read that and think, are you kidding, Luke? After 40 days, he was hungry? I've got a feeling he got hungry before 40 days. Actually, as you'll see today, there was real there was a point to how he said that. Because when you start out fasting, you're hungry. But then for, when you do an extended fast, for most of the period that you fast in an extended fast, you're not hungry at all. Not even a little bit. And then there comes a point in time, as I'll explain later, where you get hungry again. And by the 40th day, you will get hungry again, and you need to break the fast. Jesus, at the end of 40 days, had become hungry again. But he's modeling for us a biblical Christian concept of fasting. What is fasting? Well, biblical fasting is abstaining from all food. Everybody say, all food. Oh, yeah. It's abstaining from all food, but not from water for spiritual purposes. Now, there are a few examples in the Bible of uh, absolute fasting, which is abstaining from all water and drink. And that is not normally what the Bible is referencing when it talks about fasting. I mean, very few examples. Uh, Saul, who had become the Apostle Paul, for a couple of days did an absolute fast when he had met with the Lord and was blinded and is, is desperate, so he's not eating or drinking. Queen Esther, when the Jews are about to be exterminated, she entered into a three-day absolute fast. But th- this is not the norm. Uh, If you're contemplating ever doing an absolute fast, let's be really clear. It either needs to be really short, or if you feel led to do a long one, Jesus needs to show up in the flesh with picture ID to tell you to do that. Are you with me on that? Uh, There are two instances in the Bible of absolute fasts that were um, divinely empowered where they were able to do extended fasts. I mean, after five days, you're dead unless God works a miracle. And there's only two examples in human history where people did extended absolute fasts. So... If if you're number three, good luck. But uh, normally when we talk about a fast, you're drinking water, you're not eating anything at all. Now, um, Daniel does model... It's the one example we have in the Bible of a modified fast. And it's become real popular among Christians who fast. The reason that it's popular is because you still get to eat. And, uh, you know, the the whole idea of a Daniel fast is eat fruits and vegetables, but you don't eat anything else. And everybody wants to do the Daniel fast. And, And there's... In one sense, there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm just going to tell you, that is not normally what is done in fasting. And as I think you'll see more out, there's a great deal more to be gained in just a true biblical fast. There may be a season that you enter into a Daniel fast, but normally that's not what you would do. Because eating anything actually works against what's being accomplished through a fast. So it's just getting rid of all foods. And of course, we hear people all the time... I assume you hear the same kind of stuff that I do, and here it comes. So everybody, about every five minutes, if this keeps up, just punch your neighbor and say, "Are you still with me here?" Because it's it's going to be tempting to nod off. Um, a lot of people will talk about, for instance, um, in during Lent, they'll talk about, "Oh, I'm fasting." From chocolate or whatever. But have you ever just, when you talk with people about things like this and they'll, they'll name something that's really kind of an extravagance and say, this is my sacrifice, I'm, I'm fasting from this. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. But the thing that I've observed is there's pretty much no power in that. To, to give up, you know, I'm going to give up strawberries for Lent. I'm going to give up chocolate for Lent. The thing that fasting accomplishes isn't accomplished by giving up one food. It is learning to have a season where you don't give your body food, period, because that serves a very specific purpose. And so it's about giving up everything except water to drink. Now, I want to be clear what it is not. Fasting is not a hunger strike. It is not a way to gain attention, and it is not a way to leverage power to get God to do what you want him to do. So don't think that it's any of those. It's not about any of those things. And that's a really unhealthy sign if we try and do that. Fasting is, in fact, normally a very private matter. Jesus instructed us about this. It's to be like your prayer life. You shouldn't be ashamed if anybody realizes that you're doing it. But you don't go out and announce it to the world. I'm fasting this week because I love Jesus so much. He's saying, don't do that. Normally it's a private matter. But just from a practical standpoint, if you're married... Uh, it's going to be helpful if you'll at least let your mate know on what days you're fasting so that it just doesn't create you know, those awkward moments. And they can kind of cooperate with you to not you know plan to meet you for lunch or something. It's just easier if you communicate that. And it doesn't take anything away from the power of the fast to share it with somebody who's closest to you just so you don't trip each other up. Now, while fasting is typically a private thing, it's not at all unusual that there will be seasons of corporate fasting where, as a church... You'll fast and pray together. We actually had a day of, of fasting on the day before the election. Felt like that was a significant thing to do. Really felt led to do that. And it's appropriate for us to fast together like that. It's really neat to see that in history, there have been some really significant times of fasting. It's so cool to just look back and realize a heritage of faith that we have in America or in some of the other uh, Western countries in particular. But in 1754, as a prime example, England was on the verge of being attacked by France, which would have been a devastating thing if they had been invaded. And they were in a panic. And so the king of England made a proclamation throughout the the nation. On a given day in 1754, he called everybody from every tribe, language, and family to fast and pray and call on God to spare them. And so they did. Across the land, churches were filled to overflowing. John Wesley wrote in his journal concerning that. He said, The fast day was a glorious day, such as London has scarce seen since the Restoration. Every church in the city was more than full, and a solemn seriousness sat on every face. Surely God heareth prayer, and there will yet be a lengthening of our tranquility. Obviously, he's writing that on the day of. And then some days later... When it became clear that God had intervened and that the invasion had been stalled and would not happen, he recorded further in his journal, Humility has turned into national rejoicing for the threatened invasion by the French was averted. It's a beautiful picture of a a nation called to prayer and fasting and God moving in response to that again, just another word about just kind of setting this in perspective. Now, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, now bear in mind, these were the ultimate legalists. You know, we want you to know we are the religious elite. They fasted two days a week, every week. They fasted on Monday and Thursday. And the reason they fasted on those days was those were the market days. And so there were the maximum number of people in town. And they would present themselves in such a way that they made it clear to everyone, we're fasting for God. So they made a big show of that. They wanted a maximum audience. And that's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, when you fast, fix your hair, look presentable. Don't let anybody be able to look at you and know that you're fasting. It was a big deal to these legalists. Two days a week. We want everybody to know we do this two days every week. But the fact that they did it frequently doesn't mean it was wrong. It was just how they practiced it that it was wrong. You might be interested to know that today... Jews not only practice fasting throughout the year, but they have more than 20 special days every year that are set aside that every Jew fasts on those days. It's just a part of who they are and a part of of their faith. Now, we may look at that and want to write it off and say, well, that's, that's Jewish legalistic way of thinking. Well, don't lose how much it's a part of our Christian heritage. The Didache, you probably aren't reading the Didache in your quiet time. But if you're not familiar with it, the Didache, the the word means the teachings. The Didache is maybe the, the oldest Christian writing outside of the Bible. It is from the first century. And the reason that that's a big deal is the closer we can get to the apostles themselves, the clearer we can get about what was it like to live in line with what Jesus himself taught. I mean, we have a lot recorded in the scriptures, but how cool is it that we have additional writings from the guys who were right there with Jesus, who saw his example and heard the full extent of his teaching. And so the Didache, which was a summary from the first century of what the disciples did, what the original apostles did to live out the faith that Jesus had taught to them. And so they, they've written quite a bit about how Christian life is to be expressed in the church and in an individual's life. And it's just interesting to note that the Didache calls on all Christians to fast two days per week. And so... From the earliest days, from the first century, those who followed the teachings of the Didache would take Wednesday and Friday as fast days. Okay, now I've got to say, having said that, we should pay attention to that. That should influence how we think. That should impact how we practice our faith. But for the legalists in the room, and some of us by nature, we are rule followers and we want it to be a list of rules. That does not mean you need a new rule that says you fast every Wednesday and Friday. That is not the point at all. We just need to be informed to understand, from the earliest days, Christianity embraced this concept of fasting. So, having said all of that, let's just dive into, okay, what's this all about and how do we do it? So, I'm going to just give you five helpful truths about biblical fasting. This won't take long, and then I'm going to just give you some pointers on how to step into it. The first truth is this, that the New Testament does not command fasting, but it clearly assumes fasting as a Christian practice. The rule keepers among us throughout the centuries have always looked for the verse that would prove that Christians are commanded to fast. So it could be a rule within the church. We are going to fast on these days. Now, John Wesley was a great leader and, you know, the founder of the Methodist movement and so much more. At some level, he had a streak of that in him. He, he made it the rule. He would not ordain any man as a Methodist minister unless he fasted two days a week. He had to follow the didache and fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. The rule is not in the Bible. If God had wanted to say that in the New Testament, he would have. It's not there. But it is important to note that while there is not a command to fast, there is the clear assumption that we will fast. Let me point to two examples. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew six sixteen, said this. When you fast. Everybody say, when. Yeah. When you fast. Not if, but when. Thank you, Forrest. Don't put on a sad face like the hypocrites. And he goes on to make the point about, don't make a show out of it. When you fast, here's how you do it. Interesting to note, again, this is in the Sermon on the Mount. This is like the most important teaching of Jesus ever. This is the biggest body of teaching in one block we ever have from Jesus. And he, he speaks of three things in this section of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, when you pray, here's how to do it. When you give, here's how to do it. And when you fast, here's how to do it. One, two, three. Pray, give, fast. Don't you find it curious that in the church today we universally accept that we should pray? We universally accept that we should give. And when it comes to fasting, we go, Eh, I don't know about that. And Jesus talked about them, all three, as if they had equal value. And with the assumption, you're going to do this when you do this. Here's how I want you to do it. He didn't give it as a command. He just gave clear instructions about it. That seems significant, doesn't it? Doesn't it? It does to me. Another thing that Jesus said about fasting. In uh, chapter 9 of Matthew... We discover that Jesus' disciples, in the three and a half years that they're with him, they are not fasting. And fasting is such a universal practice among the people of faith. It's causing a real stir. And so it says in verses 14 and 15, One day the disciples of John the Baptist, John the Baptist, Jesus said of John the Baptist, that other than himself, John the Baptist was the greatest man ever born up to that time. That is high praise. John the Baptist was a faster. Um, John... The disciples of John came to Jesus and asked him, Why don't your disciples fast like we do and that the Pharisees do? And Jesus replied, Do the wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Now that may seem like a little bit of an ambiguous answer to us when they said, Just very clearly, tell us why your disciples don't fast on the days that we fast. And Jesus' answer actually isn't confusing at all. He says, understand that what they have with them right now is sort of the equivalent of when a family and friends gather to celebrate a wedding. And in those days, it would have been an entire week of celebration feasting and all the parties and stuff that went with it and he's saying could you imagine that if you were a part of the family or the wedding party where a big wedding was going on that you would fast during that week he's like no one would do that that's absurd why because this is the week of celebration this is the time that we get to, to just enjoy that we are together and we eat and we celebrate together but he said there's a point when the bride and groom they leave after the wedding is complete And there is a sense of separation and of loss. And he said, understand that what's going on right now is this unique period in history when I am right here, actually God in the flesh, physically present with these men. Why would they fast? This is the wedding celebration. I am the groom. I am here with him. I mean, fasting is all about drawing near to God so that we can hear his voice. And Jesus is essentially going, why would you need to fast to do that during this little period of time while I'm here? If they want to draw near to me, they just take a walk across the room and say, hey, Jesus, can we hang out for a little while? No fasting required. But he said, understand, there is a moment coming soon when the groom is going to depart and, oh, they will fast then. Because they won't just be able to pull up next to me and say, can we chat for a little while, Jesus, and have me in the flesh right there? Oh, they'll fast in. In fact, my followers throughout history are going to fast in order to draw near to me. Are you feeling the importance of what he's saying there? Little three and a half year period where fasting wasn't needed. But since Jesus doesn't live at your house in the flesh, you're going to need this as a part of your life. It's not commanded, but it is assumed. It's assumed. So then, why do you think people still held on to praying and giving, but in mass didn't hold on to to fasting? Why do you think that is? I think we all know. Because in an age when we're so affluent, it's just so much easier to give or say a prayer than it is to miss a meal, isn't it? It's just a lot more costly for us. Well, that brings us to the second. Uh truth about fasting, and that is that fasting should always center on drawing near to God rather than on some desired result. Jesus' first words on fasting were about motive, as to why you do it. And it's just important to remember that when we use things for our own ends, that becomes the first sign of false religion, that I'm going to do this to get God to do what I want Him to do. That's not what fasting is designed to do at all. It's not to impress God. It's not to twist God's arm or to get our way with God. God said in Zechariah 7, five to his people, Tell the priests and the people in the land for 70 years you fasted and cried out the fifth and seven months. These, these were specific seasons of fasting. But that was not really for me. He's just making the point. You can fast a lot and it'd be totally wasted. When the point of your fasting is anything other than just drawing near to God. Now, as we'll say today, there are a bunch of benefits that come from fasting, and those aren't just that, they are fringe benefits. The point of fasting is to experience God's nearness and intimacy with Him at a deeper level. So we always make Him the focus of that. John Wesley said of fasting, First let fasting be done unto the Lord with our eyes singly fixed on Him. Let our intention herein be this and this alone to glorify our Father which is in heaven. So fasting is centered on God and worship Worship and prayer always go hand in hand with fasting. In fact, we see this beautiful example in Acts 13.2 where the church in, uh, in Antioch Or they're just meeting together as they're praying and and fasting and worshiping. And as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul to the work that I have called them to undertake. And as a result of that, the church in Antioch would send out these men on what would become the greatest four missionary journeys in the last 2,000 years. The world was changed because of this. And the word for this thing being initiated and who was supposed to be sent out, it came as God spoke in the middle of a fast. You will be amazed in fasting how many times the word of the Lord will become just very clear. that it's like, wow, I've never seen that before. I've never realized that before, that we just tune in and hear God at new levels when we fast. Third truth is this. One secondary benefit of fasting is that it often reveals What controls us? Again, drawing near to God to the point, but some other things are going to happen. And one of those is that you're going to know yourself better. You're going to recognize some things about yourself. And I'll tell you this, of all the ten disciplines we'll talk about these couple of months, fasting is going to do this faster than anything else. You will discover what controls you so quickly as you begin to fast. We, we love to cover things up. You know, when we're feeling things that are uncomfortable, we love to cover them up with comforting stuff. And you realize, don't you, that food is one of the most comforting things that there is. That's why so many people get addicted to food, because it, it covers up those feelings. Now, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything you say, but food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. And he says, this is true. But someday God's going to do away with both of them. If you look at this in a bigger context, he's, he's making the point. For those of you who just say, well, it's not a rule and I, I don't like the idea of fasting. And, you know, you can't tell me that I can't do this. God made me to want to eat. And he, he's not teaching us that we should never eat. But he's saying, you know what, even the most basic drives that you possess... You've got to learn to control those things. I mean, is there any drive that's more basic to you than your sex drive? And what's a person's life like who doesn't learn how to harness that? I mean, if you don't know how to control your sex drive, your life's chaos, isn't it? And if you don't know how to, drive, how to control another very basic physical drive of hunger, the cry of your flesh, you've got a major problem. Fasting will bring to the surface what it is that's controlling us, such things such as anger, bitterness, jealousy, fear, hurt. Now, it's going to be tempting to think if, as you first begin to explore fasting and you have your first sort of extended fast or two to think, I'm just mad because I don't like fasting. And that's why I'm mad. I'm mad because the preacher told me I'm not supposed to eat and I don't like it. But the truth of the matter is, what you'll discover pretty quickly is, these things that come to the surface, it's not there because you're mad at fasting. I'm feeling angrier. I'm feeling or I'm feeling this emotion really strongly because fasting does that. It has that power to expose what we really struggle with. A fourth truth. Fasting reminds us that we are sustained by what comes out of God's mouth rather than what we put into ours. It's not food that sustains us. It is God who sustains us. And Paul made it clear. It is the power of Jesus' spoken word that sustains us. Jesus reflected that when he said in Matthew 4, 4, as he's in this 40-day struggle, this 40-day fast, 40-day struggle with the devil, and Satan's tempting Jesus... Jesus said, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. When you really get down to it, fasting is not so much about abstaining from food as it is about feasting on what God is saying. And it's incredible how much that empowers you when you experience that. So, Jesus' instruction about not putting on the appearance of being miserable while you're fasting... There's a real practical side to it. Part of the reason that we don't present ourselves as being miserable when we fast, is you'll discover very quickly, is fasting doesn't lead to misery. Fasting leads to joy. It really does. And if you haven't experienced it enough to know what I'm talking about, that may sound like you've got to be smoking some wacky weed to believe that. That missing out on food is going to lead to joy. Missing food doesn't lead to joy. Intimacy with God leads to joy. It always brings joy. And fasting becomes a doorway that leads to greater intimacy. The fifth truth is this. Fasting helps us to maintain balance in life and to break free from the habits that often control us. If you have tuned out, some of you really need to tune back in on this truth. There is no discipline that I'm aware of that will in itself do more to break the power of fleshly sin Now, I'm being specific when I say fleshly sin. There are different kinds of of sins. Paul alluded to this. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Different kinds of sins have different roots and are dealt with in different ways. But the sins of the flesh, do you know what I'm talking about when I say the sins of the flesh? They're very easy to identify. Sins of the flesh. Think about the things that you're tempted with in your body. That give pleasure to your body. Sins of the flesh are things like sexual sins, um, sins of, of gluttony, where every time I'm hungry, shove more food in it. Sins to you know where I'm going to take pleasure and use it overboard. Sins like sloth, every time I feel a little bit tired, I'm going to pull back and give myself a break. Sins of the flesh that cater to the flesh. Okay, you're on board with that. I mean, think about how many of these there are. I mean, how many different ways are there for us to sin by what we put in our mouths or we allow our bodies to experience to make us happier in the moment? Those can be huge, huge strongholds to be broken. I mean, think about just sexual sin alone. How incredibly prevalent this is. People having sex outside of marriage, people who are addicted to pornography. I mean, we could make a long list just of the sexual sin issues, sins of the flesh. There is no discipline that is as powerful to break sins of the flesh as fasting. And if you don't believe it, just give it a try. Whenever you're entering into a season, and everybody has these, I'll guarantee you I do, when you're entering into a season where you just realize, I don't know what's going on, but I just feel this overwhelming sense of just temptation. Everybody knows what that feels like. I mean, whether you can call it to mind right now or not, I assure you, you experience it. And I can't fully explain it. I mean, we would love to blame it on the devil. Wouldn't you just love to pull the Flip Wilson thing? The devil made me do it. You know, just, it's always the devil. It's not always the devil. In fact, the the apostles made it clear in their writings, you know, don't blame it on God or anybody else. It is first by your fleshly desire that you are drawn away and enticed, is what the scripture says. My flesh craves all kinds of stuff that don't please God. The best way to overcome that is through fasting. Now, again, remember, it's not the going without food alone that empowers you. It is God who empowers you. But somehow this works specifically against the draw of the flesh. I mean, I found in my own life, when I'm in a season where it's like, wow, I just, I don't know where or why. But here's a season that just, sin just looks more tempting. As a man. I'll be the first to admit. There are just seasons that will just come out of nowhere. It's just more tempting to look at women. And you may say, well, what's wrong with looking at women? Well, every man in the room knows what's wrong with that. Because you want to look and then you want to look again. And you want to look some more. And then you want to think about what you looked at. And I mean, if you let that just have its way, that'll go to a bad place, won't it? When you feel your heart just begin to be drawn in that direction, just go. Let that be a cue right there. This would be a good season to fast. You will be amazed at how quickly that's broken. Power is unleashed to deal with sins of the flesh. It's just so easy for us to become addicted to all kinds of things that don't need to control us. Whether it's food or alcohol or pills or sex or sleep, whatever. Things that don't need to control us. And Paul said this about that. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. You know what Paul's saying in that statement? saying, I'm not different from anybody else. I could be a moral wipeout. And I have to really discipline my body. That's why I have to do things like fast. Because I've got to hold this rotten old flesh in check until the day that I check out of this life. And you do too. I do too. And he's saying, that's why I have to be like an athlete in training. It takes discipline. There's a reason we call it spiritual disciplines. Disciples practice discipline same root word. You can't be a disciple of Jesus without being disciplined, a part of the discipline. I mean, have you ever known any great athlete that didn't have to be thoughtful about what they put in their mouths? And Paul says there's a spiritual equivalent. We've got to be thoughtful about this as well. So we could say just in conclusion about the, you know, why do we fast and what's the what's the point? Well, there are all kinds of benefits. Obviously, Just the intimacy with God. But people have written about and shared uh, countless benefits that they experience through fasting. Greater effectiveness in praying for others. Absolutely. Guidance in making decisions that just you get clarity so many times in fasting. Increased ability to concentrate. Deliverance, as I've said, from fleshly bondages and victory over temptation. Clearer revelations from God. And just general physical well-being. All of that. All of these are extra benefits that come from that. So... This is what it's about. How do you do it? Final question. Okay, if I'm not familiar with doing this, how do I begin to step into this? Well, first of all, let me just say that in learning to fast, you should follow a progression. Like so many other things. If you're going to get into exercise, don't sign up for a marathon next week because it'll kill you. You, you want to just take baby steps and work your way up. So fasting is a, a good place to practice the same idea. So I'll just offer this is not a rule book these are just six tips or guidelines if you're starting out in fasting the first one is this begin with a 24 hour fast in which you skip two meals and you replace those with fruit juice you don't have to do it that way that's just a smart way if you're not accustomed to it if you'll follow what i'm going to lay out in the next couple of minutes you'll find it is not difficult to become somebody who fasts on a regular basis 24 hour fast means you miss two meals And the best way to to adjust to that when your body is not accustomed at all. If you don't have any experience in fasting, your body is going to hate you when you first do this. And that's okay. It's going to Internally, it's going to scream and pitch a fit. And that's a good sign, not a bad sign that something healthy is going on. So the best way to get across that and not just want to give up and, and quit, just use fruit juice for those couple of meals the first few times that you fast. I would just suggest if you're trying this out for the first time, do it once a week. And let your body begin to adjust to that. At first, you're going to be kind of fascinated by what's going on physically and what you're feeling and how often are you hungry and how you deal with that. But really work at focusing on your inner heart attitude and on carrying throughout that season of fasting, those 24 hours, just an attitude of prayerfulness and an attentive heart that's listening for what God would say and just allowing yourself, just in your spirit, to sing throughout the day, to just sing songs of worship to God. That you just want to be intentional. This season is not about missing food. It's about drawing near to God. And so I'm going to have my heart tuned into what's God saying to me and just tuned into his word and to worship. So start with easy twenty four hour fast. Anytime you break a fast, long or short, I would encourage as a second thing, break all fast with lighter meals of like fruit and vegetables. You you sort of, one, you work against what you accomplished in the fast. If it's like, man, I'm going to Tamarist tonight and eat that prime rib, you know, because I fasted. Okay, what I described earlier in the service, that was not a fast day. That was a pig out day. I was just looking forward to eating big and I was going to go in ready for it. So that was, that is not fasting. The fact that you miss meals does not mean that you had a spiritual fast. That was not a fast day. That was a feast day for me. Don't break a fast with a feast. Break it with a light meal and your body will appreciate it even more. and You won't kind of counteract the good of what you've done. A third thing, after several fasts is a good time then to do a a true 24-hour fast where you drink only water. You're going to feel hunger pains more when you do that. The juice kind of keeps you from really struggling with hunger. You'll feel hunger more when you do a true fast, especially the first few times that you do it. Let me just say a couple of things about that. First of all, hunger... Pains usually are actually very short-lived. you got to get your head right. And if you'll understand, you don't feel 24 hours of nonstop hunger pains. If you actually timed it, you'd discover hunger pains are very short. It's just like your stomach going, Hey, I'm down here and I'm empty. Did you hear me? And it'll usually settle down pretty quickly after it's made that announcement. It'll say that again in a little while. If you'll just take a few sips of water, it'll usually pretty much satisfy that. But even while that's going on and you're just like, I hate this, I hate being hungry, I hate being hungry. Understand this. A stomach that's doing that so quickly and so frequently is like a spoiled child. You understand your stomach is not doing that because you're starving. I mean, we always want to say, I'm starving, this is killing me. I'm so hungry, I'm starving. You get that you're not starving, literally. All you have to do is look at us. We're not starving. Most of us are carrying a large supply of stored energy. I mean, literally, medically, we are. We're carrying the ability to live for weeks at a time without doing any harm to us whatsoever because we have all of this stored potential energy in the form of fat. And so you are not starving at all. Your spoiled child in, you, in your belly, it's just been trained by your eating habits to expect to be fed on this schedule. And so you're retraining it. I mean, if you have a spoiled child living at your house who makes noise on a regular basis every time they don't get their way, what's the solution to that? To always give them their way or to teach them some discipline? We do the same thing with our stomachs. So when it's going, feed me, feed me, it's like you're going, yeah. It's a good moment for that baby to learn something different. And it's going to, and it will. And it actually does quite quickly. You'll be amazed in a few weeks' time how quickly... The hunger becomes less and less of an issue. The fourth thing I'll say is, uh, if possible, devote some time normally used to eating instead to prayer and meditation. Don't be legalistic about it and say, well, I have to do 30 minutes three times a day that I'll pray and read my Bible. No, just it's going to free up a little bit of time. And so to just use some of those times, you may want to take one of those missed meals and say, I'm going to read a little bit of Scripture in this one. Or I'm going to, during what would have been lunch, I'm going to take some time to just be still and listen and meditate. Uh, A fifth thing, after a few uh, 24-hour fasts, it's good then to move on to a 36-hour fast. A 36-hour fast means that you miss three meals. When you say 36 hours, that sounds so long, but you've only missed three meals. If you skip three meals, unless you have a strange eating habit, that gets you to, to 36 hours. And you will have needed to have worked your way up to that. And then once you've done that a few times, you're at a place to actually begin to experiment with doing some longer more extended fast now and it's fine to seek the Lord about that and about how long that you want to do that and if, if you're new to fasting you may go oh my goodness that, that really sounds way out there to me the most profound experiences in fasting are when you do the extended ones th- three days or longer and just a word about what's going to happen there so you're not freaked out Now, one of the first things that you can do to position yourself to fast well is get off of caffeine I mean like all the time and all the coffee drinkers hate me for saying that. Caffeine's not evil. It's just you're going to struggle with headaches every day that you fast if you don't go ahead and get off of caffeine. But anyway, that's up to you. But people who say, I can't fast because it gives me headaches, unless you have a medical condition, most of the time people who struggle with headaches when they fast, it's usually because they're caffeine addicts. And it's the caffeine withdrawal that's doing that. Once again, fasting will reveal what's actually going on in you. But when you do an extended fast, a couple of things to just be aware of. Um, obviously, you'll, you'll deal with the hunger pains but you're also going to have some other things that are going on. Uh, you'll get a really bad taste in your mouth. Uh, you'll get a coating on your tongue that's kind of nasty because your body is going through that phase of getting rid of toxins. And you taste that and you, there's just a bit of yuckiness to that. I don't know any way around that. Just brush your teeth a lot. I don't know what else to tell you. Just, that, that's not real pleasant. But that passes in a couple of days. Here's the really amazing thing, though. This is like the, the bonus that you don't just know without trying it. Hunger pains go completely away. Now, for some people, it goes away at like day two or three. For some people, it takes a few days for them to go away. In my experience, it usually, by about the third day, hunger is really becoming very little of an issue. And you get to the point, you feel no hunger whatsoever. Some of you are going, I do not believe that. It's true. It will It will be true for you. Now, what will happen is you'll go through a little phase in the somewhere in the first few days where you've gone without food long enough that for just a little season, you feel like, a little lightheaded at times, like if you are real active or you have to move quickly that you feel like, whoa, that that didn't feel good, or you feel a little bit weak. That's not going to last long term, but you'll have a couple of days in there in an extended fast where you just need to get up and down a little more slowly, and you need to probably take it a little bit easier in terms of physical exertion, but you're still able to work out and do what you need to do, but... Then your body, actually on the physical side, it kicks into ketosis and and it makes the shift from feeding off of food to feeding off of fat stores. And then the body becomes really efficient at doing that. And then it can go at full speed. And suddenly you have all the energy you've ever had. You're thinking clearly. You're not feeling swimmy-headed. And this amazing thing, now you're not hungry at all. And you'll hit a phase where you think, I could fast till Jesus comes back. I mean, this is so awesome. Nobody ever taught me this diet plan because now I don't even feel hungry. Who who wouldn't want to have that? And you can do that for weeks, and you're able to. But somewhere between about day 20 to day 40 of a fast, you'll get hungry again. And when hunger returns after that long break, then you have to break the fast because that's your body's way of telling you you've hit starvation. You've used up the fat stores. You're now breaking down metabolizing healthy tissue Living off of that, and so it's time to break the fast. Some of you are like, "Well, that ain't going to happen to me," but just know that you you have a capacity for that. The really cool thing is, amazing stuff happens with God in times of extended fast. Strongholds that get broken, words that come from God—it's just so cool. But above everything, just encountering God in these seasons. We opened the service. With the 63rd Psalm. I want to read it for us again. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Now if that's not who you are, if that's not what you're about, don't fool with fasting. If you don't want to earnestly seek God, don't waste your time on fasting. But if you're earnestly seeking Him, it's worth it. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. We have a hunger in us for something greater than food. You've heard me say it if you've been with us long term. You've heard me say it a bunch of times. There are three parts to who you are. You are a soul, a soul that has a mind, will, and emotions. That's the conscious part of who you are. But you are a living soul that possesses both a body and a spirit. Through your body, you're able to interact with the world. You're able to take in all that can be seen, heard, tasted, felt, all of that through your body. And we're so dialed into that. It's great that we have bodies to take in all of that. The problem becomes when you've never learned to practice the spiritual disciplines, you completely miss out on everything that your spirit connects you to because your spirit enables you to connect with the supernatural. Beyond what the body can just see and taste and hear and feel, your spirit has the ability to connect with God and to hear the voice of God and to receive from God. And the problem is if you just picture... if. I'm if, Standing here now, this just represents my soul. And over here is my body. And over here is my spirit. If I'm not trained in the spiritual disciplines, over time, I'll become more and more turned in this direction. So that everything I know in my experience is through my body. If God wants to talk to me, he better be a voice from heaven that my ears can hear. Because I haven't learned to be tuned in through my spirit to what God is saying. Everything has to be through my body. But you see, in the disciplines... It helps us to get back reoriented with balance. It doesn't mean everything through the body is bad. It's not. But in fasting, we cut off the cry of our body. Feed me, feed me, give me sex, give me pleasure, give me all of what I want. And we say, you know what? No for today or for this couple of days or for this week. No to all the cries of the body because I'm going to just really work at just tuning in to what God is saying in my spirit. It's, it's not that different From As a husband and wife, when you realize, well, we're not on the same page. We're not communicating well. We're going in different directions. And so we're going to have some nights in the week where we turn off the TV. We turn off the laptops. We turn off the iPads and the cell phones. And we set aside all the distractions so we just can be together and can hear from each other. So it's sort of like, if you think about it, you know, in our bodies, all these things that I want to watch and I want to listen to. I want to have all this noise and this stimulation that we're going, no, I need some little windows of time where I just disconnect from that and I reposition so that I've got an ear that's attentive to God, that I experience Him over here. Does that make sense? That's what it's about. And before I pray, let me ask you if you've got questions. I don't have all the answers, but I would attempt to to answer. Anybody got questions about what we're talking about? Stone? When you said the two people that fasted without water, is is it Moses and uh, Elijah and Moses both, if I remember correctly, had extended fasts without water. We're not clear whether Jesus drank water or not. In the, in, we just don't know that for certain. The the Luke account doesn't say about water. Thank you. I I actually had it in my notes to address that, and every time I rehearsed the message, I said that, and I forgot to. So, Susan, thank you for that reminder. That that is an important reminder. Not everyone can fast. Pregnant women should not fast. Um, If you have diabetes, you you shouldn't just go into fasting. If you have major heart problems, you know, you need to... (laughs) Forrest has scored a touchdown on that one. (laughs) Um, It... You need to use wisdom about this. Don't be foolish and go, well, I'll just trust God that my diabetes won't be a problem. Well, God also expects you to use some discernment about this. And if if fasting isn't something that you can practice because of of health concerns, God's going to make sure that you still have means to draw near to him. And so certainly you, you need to use wisdom and discretion about it. Thank you for that reminder. Anything else? That's good. The final word that I'll say is just a good word. If you're thinking about this, it's easy to, to sort of think, oh my goodness, by the time we've covered this whole series, it's going to be ten more things I've got to do. No, it's not. It's not ten more things you've got to do. Just look at it like this. Here's a new avenue, if you haven't been here before, and you know fasting's new for you. Just consider, wow, this is just a new thing that I get to experiment with to just have some new intimacy with God that maybe I've never had before. If you're in a relationship with a husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend and you get to do something new for the first time, that's not drudgery, is it? That's exciting to have a, to go a new place, to, to do something new with somebody you love. Let fasting be that in your relationship with God. He wants you to just experience greater intimacy. Let's go to him together in prayer right now. God, thank you that you love us, that you pursue us, that you give us these ways... To just know you better, more intimately. Help us to do that. Thank you that you love us so deeply. And I pray that you would, right now, that you'd plant in our hearts a greater desire to walk closely with you. For some of us who really struggle just terribly with discipline or with sins of the flesh, I pray that you would pour into us a desire and a discipline now to begin to practice prayer, and fasting, and to really press into you. I pray that you'd give fresh words to people, Lord, that you would set people free from bondages, and that above all, we'd come away loving you and knowing you as never before. We welcome your work in our lives in every form that you want to bring it, and we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.